The sun is high and the February air looks like summer through the window. Vivienne Walker watches the light play off the tides of the Gulf of Saint Laurent. On her desk are two letters. One she received this morning and one she has just finished writing. She awaits a messenger to come take the latter of this away. In her mind, she plans a week's worth of wardrobe while rehearsing polite arguments that she may or may not ever need to make. Brew yourself a cup of something warm and hold it close. It's time for Neon Jezebel. This episode of Neon Jezebel will continue in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Throughout history, brave men have answered the call of justice whenever the authorities could not. In America, we have the local vigilance committees. These modern-day Robin Hoods operate wherever crime does. They don masks so that the shopsters, lawbreakers, and gangsters of the underworld cannot exact vengeance upon their families. The last year has seen a sharp rise in crime in our fair city. The devil alcohol has a stranglehold on many of our citizens, a hold so tight that it will take more than a constitutional amendment to break it. It will take the courage and dedication of the men of our law enforcement agencies to exercise spirits once and for all. Answering this call is none other than the Silver Sabres. The Silver Sabres are the oldest and most storied vigilance committee in New York City. They not only uphold the law, they uphold the heritage and tradition of the Empire City itself. Their leader is Silver Star, who has the honor of being the only vigilante deputized by the state of New York. Anyone on the team can tell you, he's the brains of the outfit. The brawn is Silver Fist, standing and imposing five feet eleven inches tall and weighing in at two hundred and twenty pounds. Silver Fist is impossible to miss. If I didn't know any better... I'd say it was Tom Jenkins under that mask. If a gangster gets lucky, he can escape Silver Fist, but he will never outrun Silver Streak, the fastest man in New York. He's almost as fast as Olympic champion sprinter Charlie Paddock. The two have even raced each other and are, pardon me, fast friends. And who's this beauty? Why, it's none other than Silver Fox. She's no stenographer, She's America's favorite vigilantess. But gentlemen, don't get any ideas about letting her catch you. Silver Fox handles the apprehension of criminal women, because upholding American values means upholding common decency. And when the ladies are behaving themselves, she makes quite a mascot. Wowza! So if you see bootleggers or scofflaws in your neighborhood, tell your operator that you want to talk to the Silver Sabres. Help keep New York safe with the Silver Sabres. And now, back to our show. Dear Miss Vivian Walker, I do not expect that you will remember me. We only met once, though our fathers were acquainted. 
I did have the chance to meet your brother a few times. He was a charmer, but it's not difficult to charm a girl of ten. All I really remember is that he never accused me of squinting, and I was grateful for that. If you'll indulge me, I would like you to remember. It was almost 20 years ago. You were vacationing with your family in East Marion. It was an unusually warm summer. In particular, the nights that July were as warm as spring days. Perhaps that's why you decided to go for a walk one evening. You donned a broad-brimmed hat and a pair of trousers, which must have been scandalous at the time. How long you wandered the woods, I cannot say. What I do know is that you came upon a group of boys. They were laughing poisonously and kicking a child that lay on the ground. Perhaps you had heard the cries for help, or maybe the vitriol and the laughter drew your attention. Of course, it may have been a chance meeting of ways. Whatever the reason, you did come upon them. There were three of them. They were only 13 or 14, I suppose. Not so tall as adult men, but showing every sign of being on their way. Between laughs, they spat invectives at the child on the ground. Occasionally, they would apply a light kick, not hard enough to do real injury, but enough to make it known that they could. Overcome by some virtuous impulse, you intervened. You rained abuse upon them as you marched in. The boys may have, for a moment, thought you a man, though your voice and unpinned cascade of blonde hair marked you unmistakably as female. Something in your voice struck them, and they stood in amazement for a few moments. One boy had the misfortune of finding himself within arm's reach. You grasped him by the collar and called him a little pig-nosed goop. That physicality sparked real fear in them, and they tore away into the trees. At a safe distance, one of them turned to yell something about his father being a senator, to which you replied, Tell him my name is Atalanta, and my bow is already strung. You helped me to my feet and dusted off my dress. I was crying, and you knelt down to hug me. It is actually that moment of tenderness which I remember most clearly. Only my mother had ever held me that way. Even my grandmother could not muster such affection for me, tainted as I was by my mother's oriental blood. When I had stopped crying, you took my hand and led me to the small house where your parents and brother awaited you. You reported the incident to your father using more than a few invectives of your own for the boys you had seen. The words you used were ones that would have enraged my mother to hear. Such, I imagined her saying, was not the language of a girl of breeding. Your mother, conversely, beamed with pride. I knew the address of where my family was staying, but could provide no more information. Your father was unfamiliar with the area, but had us all get in his car. We stopped several times so that he could ask after the address I had given. When we arrived, 
there was a policeman in front of the house talking to my parents. I went running out of the car and into my mother's arms with you just a few paces behind me. I remember my mother bowing to you in gratitude as she held me. After that, introductions were made, and my parents insisted that you all join us for cake. The rest of the evening, you never left my side. We went outside, and you put two reclining chairs together so we could look at the stars, and you told me an irreverent version of the story of Perseus and Andromeda. It was a wonder to me that a woman could both be full of the might to scare off three boys and the humor to make Perseus a clown. I was loath to see you leave that night. My father declared that we would be leaving in the morning, and I pleaded with him to let me say one last goodbye after breakfast. However, my parents were in such a hurry to leave that no time could be spared. Looking back, I realized why they were in such a hurry, but it was heartbreaking at the time. Since that day, I have remembered you often. When your father and brother came to visit, I was always dejected to find that you had not accompanied them. I wrote letters to you a few times, but I was a shy and distractible child and never managed to post the letters promptly. When I did remember, I felt the letter too old and composed a new one, which also failed to be posted. After a while, I felt it was too late to send a first letter. For the last seven years, I've been residing in Hong Kong and attending an English finishing school, as well as taking lessons in Cantonese. The Cantonese lessons, in particular, required me to do a great deal of writing. Over the years of my tutelage, I have discovered the necessary skills to be a proper epistolist. I promised myself that when I returned to America, my first letter would be the long-overdue one to you. Of course... Our lives are not so simple now that we can have mere letters of thanks between women. Here let me offer my condolences on the passing of your mother and father. As I understand, it has only been a few years now. I can only imagine what a lonely time that must have been for you to lose both parents at once while your brother was serving in the war. As much as I can say that I have known loneliness in my life, my mother has always been with me, so I will not pretend to understand the pain that you must have experienced. I will only say that I am deeply sorry that it was thrust upon you. Coming to the present, I am sure that you can imagine how excited my father is at having an adult son in the house. There was always a plan that my brother, Michael, would succeed my father as chairman of the St. Moon Corporation. However, a recent indiscretion on Michael's part has moved the schedule forward. As I write this, my brother is being familiarized with the company's shipping procedures and, among other things, the planned agreement between St. Moon and the Walker Corporation. He is to be helming a number of endeavors related to these things. I do not know how much of New York's news reaches you, but there has been a recent string of attacks. A masked woman has been intercepting and then burning St. Moon delivery trucks. This has demanded that the company restructure its delivery procedures, both to protect the company and the men who drive the trucks. This restructuring, I'm told, 
will affect particulars of the proposed agreement between our two families' companies. It is my understanding that the contract negotiations have been in the works for some months now. My father is intent on resolving the agreement in a timely fashion. It will make matters simpler if the necessities of our agreement with the Walker Corporation can be incorporated into the new delivery structure at its inception. To this end, I have been charged with extending an invitation to both you and your brother, along with any lawyers you deem necessary, to be guests of the St. Moon Corporation in New York. We will be hosting you at the Blake Oriental Hotel, where your rooms and incidentals would be provided, courtesy of St. Moon. I myself will not be taking part in the business discussions. No doubt this trip will be an inconvenience. As recompense, I shall be making myself available to you at any time, should you want a tour of the city. I cannot say I will be an expert guide, as I am discovering the city for myself. Still, two unattached women of means discovering New York City for themselves promises to be a grand adventure. Please do write back promptly so that we can begin arrangements proper. You will find enclosed a fan that I have brought back with me from Hong Kong. I purchased it with the expressed purpose of delivering it to you as a much belated sign of gratitude for your intervention all those years ago. There is one more thing which I had intended to keep as a surprise, but find myself too excited not to share here. My father arranged for a seamstress to be allowed to enter America with my family. He argued that the woman was born in the New Territories and was thus a citizen of the British colony of Hong Kong and not subject to the Chinese Exclusion Act. The seamstress, Po Fa, makes beautiful chongsams, a form of Chinese dress. Would it not be fine for one of the leading women of the city of Silkhaven to have a silk oriental dress? Mother is intent on making chongsams the great fashion item of the season. Upon that note, I shall close. I do hope that you can find the time to accept my family's invitation, and should you, I will be delighted to once again make your acquaintance. With all gratitude, Gabrielle Blake. Podcasts are the newest and most exciting way to hear your favorite audio programs on the go, but you already knew that. What you may not have known is that the success and longevity of a podcast depends on you, our loyal listeners. If you've enjoyed the adventure, mystery, and heartbreak of this program, the best way to show your appreciation is by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. These reviews make the show more visible on the Apple Podcasts main page, which means that more people can discover what you already know. When you're in the mood for cozy noir adventure, nothing satisfies quite like Neon Jezebel. But it's up to you to let the world know. So why not take this moment to head over there now and rate and review? Afterwards, you can follow us on Instagram at Neon Jezebel Podcast, all one word. That's Neon Jezebel Podcast on Instagram. And now, we continue with our show. Dear Cranston, ready or not, little brother, it's time for you to hightail it out of Boston. 
but you're not coming home just yet. You and I have been summoned to New York by St. Moon. We are to be the honored guests of none other than Edward Blake and his family. Do you remember the Blake twins? I know you met them a few times on your trips with father before the war. They've been out of the country. I've been asking around, not having the time to do proper research. It seems that Mrs. Blake decided the children should weather out the Great War in Hong Kong, and the family has just recently been reunited. Mary Blake is an Oriental woman, though it seems her exact ancestry is something of a mystery. I don't know if there's a secret she's kept herself, or if the people of New York's high society simply could not be bothered to remember. Then again, with the way things have been in that part of the world, she might be from a country that doesn't exist anymore. A few years ago, I attended a seminar by an Orientalist. According to him, it was wrong to think of China the way we might think of Germany. It was better, he said, to think of it like Italy. It's not one country, just one government overseeing a great many small nations. In that view, I suppose it could get quite tiresome for a girl who thinks of herself as Sardinian to repeatedly have to explain that Sardinia is part of Italy, but she prefers not to associate herself with Sicilians. Add to that how difficult to pronounce some of those places in Asia are to the European tongue, and it's not hard to imagine she decided at an early age to play the mysterious woman from the East and get on with things. I gather that Mary was a student in America when some calamity back home made return undesirable. She attended the same university as Edward Blake, and somehow she convinced him to marry her. It was a scandal, as you can well imagine. Our set is perfectly willing to let a young man sample the exotic fruits of faraway lands, but to buy the orchard is an entirely other matter. However, just as it was Mary who got Edward into the scandal, it was she who got him back out. I'm told that... From her first society party onwards, she was the unrivaled toast of the town. She has a reputation as a gifted conversationalist to rival even George Eliot. What she has, the poor old Miss Eliot did not, is looks. Supposedly, she's a beauty to rival the Queen of Sheba, which may go a long way towards explaining where Edward found the courage to marry her. Her children have just made their debut in New York City, and I have a story from the world sitting on my desk. If that piece is anything to go from, the apples have not fallen far from the tree. Gabrielle Blake is described in terms one rarely sees outside of a love letter, or one of those novels mother kept hidden from father. Michael Blake, it says, was seen escorting a young woman to the upper floors of the Blake Oriental Hotel. So, one imagines that he must cut quite the fine figure himself. Michael, it seems, is being thrown into the deep end of his training to run St. Moon one day. From the sounds of it, Edward is leaving the Walker deal with St. Moon entirely in the heir's hands. Though, I can't imagine that the old man won't be looking over Junior's shoulder. I suppose I should see that as an opportunity but I cannot get myself past the idea that this might delay things. Nothing from our insiders suggests that the vaccine project is being delayed, and we still have only hints at what it might really be. There has been another complication as well. 
a masked woman that the New York papers are calling the Virago, has started attacking and burning delivery trucks all over the city. And now the company is changing its shipping procedures. This is why the Blakes have invited us to be their guests in New York. They want us to sit down with Michael and discuss how these changes in shipping procedure are going to affect the contract we gave them. Just when we had the particulars all so carefully negotiated, this had to happen. Meanwhile, our inside man tells me that St. Moon's vaccine project is nearing an important new phase. Until this deal goes through, we will be in no position to discover what the details of that project are. As dire as the whispers and rumors about some grand eugenics program are, the Rosen chain can't take action without evidence. We need to get these contracts signed before the vaccine project moves further forward. That means we need to make St. Moon happy. Your name was on the invitation, so you're going to be there, creased and greased. I'm not entirely sure what the Blakes are expecting of you, but I'm sure it's not chasing bird women. No need to lie exactly, just obfuscate. I want you to be on your best behavior. I say this because, as charming as your Swiss chippy sounds, I expect all memory of her will be washed from your mind as soon as you meet Gabrielle Blake. The reporters covering her society debut all sound half in love with her, and none of them are eligible bachelors of means. So... Keep clear of her as best you can. Mind, it's not that she's Oriental. It's that she's a Blake. I don't imagine there is much love loss between the Blake twins and their father, but they are the heirs to the fortune. If the vaccine project is key to the company's future, then we can expect them to guard its secrets like they are the crown jewels. At this time, I can only guess at what tactics they will be using at the conference table, but I'm not ready to count a political marriage out of the equation yet. Be on your guard is all I'm saying. If you are going to charm any woman in the room, make it Mary Blake. One imagines that, as their sole parent for the last several years, she has a greater leverage over the twins than Edward does. We are entering the dragon's lair. I need St. George beside me, not Sir Lancelot. <sighs> All right, that's enough of the Harridan. You're right, that Miss Helvetia sounds like a proper flapper, and I do wish I had the chance to meet her. Perhaps I can have a word with the Chamberlain about having her relocated, if that still suits you once this is all said and done. I do look forward to seeing you, Cranston. Thrilling as your letters are, I was quite fond of our quiet evenings in the penthouse. I look forward to seeing you, safe and well. We are the only family we have left. With love, your sister, Vivian Walker. Neon Jezebel is written and produced by Zachary Westbrook. The voice of Vivian Walker is Emmy Elia. The voice of Gabrielle Blake is Susan Day. Announcement by me, Océane Thomas. If you like this show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening from. You can also visit our website at neonjezebel.com. <laughs>